This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. This week was dominated by a flurry of headlines centered around the creation of new standards, unfulfilled promises and policy, and the almost inescapable feeling of how the recent actions taken in government to this point may or may not align to its prior commitments and declared ideations. Three stories this week predominantly enveloped our timelines. The Senate parliamentary issues guidance against Biden's proposed immigration measures in the upcoming budget bill. The treatment of Haitian migrants crossing the U.S. border seeking refuge in Del Rio, Texas, and the shocking footage of apprehension techniques by the CBP. And lastly, President Biden officially lifting travel restrictions for foreign nationals who are fully vaccinated and the implications for those who are not. But first, the budget bill. Policy and advocacy strategist Monica Slanke was gracious enough to stop by to provide greater context surrounding this proposal, where it stands today, accommodations that could be made, and the likelihood of its success in the future, given the political environment. Why was this struck down? The Senate parliamentarian didn't strike down uh, a pathway to citizenship for all undocumented immigrants um, forever. She just struck down the proposal that Democrats presented to her. Um, Now, we don't know the specifics of the proposal, but from her decision that was leaked, um, we can see that the proposal that was submitted included legalization for DREAMers, immigrant youth, TPS holders, farm workers, and essential workers. So whatever the details of that proposal were, was what she struck down. Um, And what that means is there still could be space for another legalization proposal to go through. She just struck down the one that was presented to her. Got it. And is there any alternatives being weighed right now with the current administration? So we don't know the specifics. Um, Democrats are holding their cards really close to their chest. What we have heard and what they've said publicly is that they're considering offering an update to registry. Um, And registry is an existing statute that already exists in the Immigration and Nationality Act. And what that would do is allow for a mass legalization of all undocumented individuals who entered the country before a certain date. Um, So there wouldn't be categories of dreamers, DPS holders, farm workers. It it wouldn't be specific categories of eligibility. The only thing that you would have to prove in order to get a pathway to citizenship is that you entered before a certain date and that you don't have certain inadmissibility grounds. Um, So by some estimates, it could be one of the largest legalization packages ever. And what Democrats are going to be arguing to the parliamentarian is that it's not a policy change. It's just a shift, a slight amendment to existing statute. So that's, we believe what their argument is going to be, but we don't know for sure. Got it. And is this a bipartisan agenda? So budget reconciliation is um, an effort that only needs Um, a majority of Senate votes. So using budget reconciliation, the process itself is partisan. The process itself is Democrat only. But I will say that um, a bipartisan group of Americans support legalization for undocumented immigrants, even even though that might not be reflected in Congress. 
um, across the nation, a bipartisan group of Americans support pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. So l let me ask you, Mr. Secretary, of the 1.3 million people that we've apprehended, how many people have been returned? How many people are being detained? And how many people have been dispersed? And I want some numbers here. So we've got, again, 1.3 million people. How many people have been returned? How many people are being detained? How many people have been dispersed to all points around America? Uh, Senator, I would be pleased to provide you with that data. I want them now. Uh, Why don't you have that information now? Uh, Senator, I do not have that data. Why not? Army. Why don't you have that basic information? Senator, I want to be accurate in the, in the information. I, I'm looking right. for ballpark figures. Senator, not for reasons of our limitation of use that we impose on ourselves, but rather because certain of our capacity to return people under Title 42 is constrained by the Mexican authorities' ability to receive them. This is a matter of bilateral and multilateral relationships. We exercise the Title 42 authority to the fullest extent that we can. We then work with Mexico to assess what its capacity to receive individuals is. Okay, again, that you're, well you're, ta you're, you're talking about the process. I want numbers. I'm going to that was GOP Senator Ron Johnson questioning DHS Secretary Mayorkas in Wednesday's congressional hearing on the effectiveness of border security over the past few months. For context, in the last three weeks, the town of Del Rio, Texas, has witnessed the arrival of over 12,000 Haitian migrants seeking asylum, escaping another round of devastation only compounded by the recent earthquake on August 14th. This left more than 650,000 people in need of emergency humanitarian assistance without the proper care or medical infrastructure in place to accommodate the volume. However, the assassination of President Jovenel Moise on July 7th was the initial trigger that brought political and economic instability, preceded by a substantial rise in crime within the region, leading to the first wave of a mass exodus. After the earthquake in August, the Biden administration paused all deportations back to Haiti, but the tone and action has made a crucial shift in the last couple of days as the administration has been under fire. If you come to the United States illegally, you will be returned. Your journey will not succeed and you will be endangering your life and your family's lives. This administration is committed to developing safe, orderly, and humane pathways for migration, but this is not the way to do it. Questions to this shift in tone and some argue an overcorrection in its implementation was only exacerbated after images surfaced of CBP officers using hostile force to corral migrants, and in one particular case, an officer on horseback using a whip to deter defenseless migrants. White House Press Secretary Jim Psaki, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and many political contributors across all media immediately addressed the visuals that lay contrary to the stance that the Biden administration has cultivated over maintaining a nonviolent approach to illegal immigration. I have seen some of the footage. I don't have the full context. I can't imagine what context would make that appropriate, but I don't have additional details. Uh, and certainly, I don't have additional context. April, I don't think anyone seeing that footage uh, would think it was acceptable or appropriate. Any mistreatment or abuse of a migrant is unacceptable. 
is against Border Patrol policy, training, and our department's values. Indeed, we have directed an investigation. That investigation is underway, and it will be conducted swiftly, and the public needs and deserves to know its results. When you have tens of thousands of people and only a hundred, uh, hundreds of, uh, of Border Patrol agents, it creates a very desperate situation. I find the whole thing extremely, extremely troubling. And hey, there's yeah. a long history of Haitian immigrants being treated differently than of others. Famously, Cubans and Haitians, the wet foot, dry foot policy. So Haitian immigrants have been treated differently than other migrants for decades. And this is the latest and most egregious example. Images of Haitian migrants being hit with whips and other forms of physical violence is completely unacceptable. This behavior must be addressed and we must provide accountability. The images turn your stomach. Lead researcher at EIG, Luke Bianco, joins. From those clips and the news, what is the basis for these deportations? And secondarily, uh, to what extent does the role of administration even play when it comes to America's approach to illegal immigration? Yeah, so ostensibly, the, the basis for these deportations is a public health order called Title 42. Uh, it was declared in March 2020, so in the previous administration, basically saying that the CDC will allow for the uh, restriction of entry of non-American citizens or, or foreign nationals to the U.S. on the basis of the public health crisis. So because of the risk of potential exposure to the coronavirus, uh, the president and his administration has the ability to, to reject people from entering the United States. And in practice, that's really been used to deny asylum seekers entry to the United States, entry to uh, really any review of their specific um, circumstances that could potentially justify asylum. So with regards to the particular administrations and kind of what that looks like with regards to undocumented immigrants, uh, I, I think there's quite a bit of inertia there. So even though this was a kind of widely decried policy from the Trump administration, we're still seeing it play out within the Biden administration, which is a political party, the, the Democratic Party, that is more favorable to immigrants. Uh, yet we're still seeing previous administration policies be used to basically the same effect, um, even defended in court. You know, just last week, the DC District Court blocked the use of Title 42 to turn away families with children and the Biden administration is currently appealing that. What we're seeing here is, you know, despite outward posturing that the Biden administration wants to be more humane and, and more favorable towards immigrants, uh, particularly undocumented immigrants, we don't necessarily see that playing out in reality. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the treatment of Haitian asylum seekers is just one example of that. On Monday, September 20th, the White House announced that fully vaccinated travelers, regardless of where they are from, will be welcome to travel to the United States starting this November. That means those who are vaccinated will still need to take a test within three days of travel, but will not be required to quarantine on arrival. However, for unvaccinated U.S. citizens, these travel measures will actually tighten further if they decide to re-enter their home country. 
Upon arrival, unvaccinated travelers will have to show a negative test taken one day before flight and will need to take another test once again after the flight lands. Foreign travelers entering the United States will need to provide their phone number, email, and other forms of information for contact tracing purposes. But the question still remains, what select vaccines are pre-approved by the CDC and WHO, and how would that affect various groups of travelers globally? Luke Bianco joins the way in. At this point, do we know which of the vaccines will be accepted for this new travel policy, and how may that affect different regions of global travelers? So we do know generally, once this policy is implemented in November, that uh, the basis for the vaccines will be used from those that the CDC has approved. Um, so the primary ones in the United States currently are Johnson Johnson, uh, Moderna and Pfizer, as well as those that are currently listed for emergency use by the World Health Organization, WHO, which includes the AstraZeneca vaccine, as well as the Sinopharm vaccine, which was produced by China. That does not necessarily mean that all vaccinated individuals across the world will be able to enter under these uh, these new restrictions. For example, the Sputnik V vaccine, which is produced by Russia, currently does not have emergency approval. So individuals who may be vaccinated using that particular vaccine uh, would still be barred entry, this new public health order. And, you know, that, that has real world effects because, you know, the United States, China, Russia, Europe are effectively playing a game of you know vaccine diplomacy here like they are very frequently gifting leftover vaccine doses to less wealthy less developed nations in hope to kind of get good favor uh, and on the surface that's a good thing is it's always better for more people to be vaccinated but uh, we've seen with the AstraZeneca vaccine in the United States which doesn't currently have CDC or you know domestic approval those are being given away to, to lesser developed nations because the U.S. basically doesn't want them. So I, I think that that has real world consequences where, you know, there's already pretty stark differences in vaccination rates between the wealthiest countries and lower income countries. 80% of the wealthiest countries are vaccinated, just around 20% of lower income countries. And if those individuals are vaccinated with what is considered by these global health organizations as a lower quality of vaccine, that leads to the disparate treatment of more marginalized groups within the, the global economy and particularly uh, asylum seekers as well, which as we've seen with the, uh, the Haitians this week, you know, that can have real dire consequences. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.